This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. I am your host, Steve Eschbach, and I own a business here in Chicagoland called Transworld Business Advisors. I own one of a perhaps six or seven offices in the Chicago land, and I'm also one of about 220 worldwide uh, that primarily assist business owners confidentially sell and match them up with qualified buyers. We also do a couple of other things too. We uh, assist those business owners that also want to expand via the acquisition model. So while we cater to businesses looking to sell, and we do help them confidentially sell and master with qualified buyers, we have a few candidates where they're looking to expand. So we're looking out on their behalf in terms of acquiring an entity that will help them grow. We also do franchise sales for those executives in transition looking to get into the entrepreneurial market with an established name, if you will. And we also do franchise development for those entities looking to expand via the franchise model. And as you well know, Building Better Businesses is a podcast where we interview Circle of Influence Networking Contacts to get a better idea of their perspective on how to build a better business. And I've been mentioning build and build and build throughout this opening commentary, and I'm delighted that today's guest is Russ Stevens, who is the co-founder of the Association of Professional Builders. And I'm telling you, Russ, there is a very hot ticket in your field. So I'm anxious to find out more about how you coach your clients to help them maximize their potential out there. So Russ, welcome. And tell us a little bit about about your Association of Professional Builders. Thanks so much, Steve. Really excited to be here. So yes, uh, the Association of Professional Builders started seven years ago now with a goal to improve the construction industry for both builders and consumers. And that's driven by a a belief really that uh, we believe residential home builders should be earning a lot more than they're currently earning, given the the risks that they take every time they sign a contract. But we also believe that consumers deserve a far better experience than they're currently getting in the industry. I certainly would agree with you there, and I look forward to learning more about that. First of all, why don't we talk a little bit about your association? How big is it? Is it uh, many-fold? Is many states? Just tell us a little bit about the breadth and the depth of your organization. Sure. So we operate uh, across five countries, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, and uh, and the UK. And we have two levels. We have membership, which we, we've got over 500 
building companies are now members of the Association of Professional Builders in those uh, in those five countries. And then we have a more intense high level coaching, which is uh, in, you know, incorporates private mentoring with one of our executive coaches. And we we have coaches based in Australia, Canada and the US. So uh, it really is a, an easy step into um, into coaching and uh, systemizing a, a business. And then uh, obviously there's, uh, for the guys that wanna move faster, there's more um, uh, dedicated uh, private mentoring, which will help them get to, get to their goals a lot quicker. Yeah, and I heard a couple of buzzwords in your commentary, systemization, which kind of tells us uh, that you really need a plan, you need a, uh, a protocol, you need an established uh, formula for getting success. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But as I do with all my guests, I have to kind of rewind the videotape. And for those of you that do remember, it is a device that is uh, tape. You rewind it. We're going to go back to your childhood, Russ, and tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and how your family and parental influences back then formed where you are today? I know that's a long question, but it's very open-ended, but we need to go back in time to see if what you were as a child is what you are today. Yeah, I guess uh, as a child, I was never one of the smartest kids. Uh, I grew up in uh, England, just outside London. And uh, my father, he was a small business uh, man. He was in retail. And I guess I always looked at how he operated. He was very particular. You know, he, everything had to be just so and just right. And, uh, he used to drive himself mad. And I always thought in retail, yeah, that's very, very difficult opening multiple, um, multiple outlets and, uh, and trying to have everyone, everything just perfect. So I always thought that I would go into wholesale where you had one, <laughs> one place of work and you could, you right. could grow a lot easier. But I think as a, as a young kid, I was literally, I was waiting to enter the, not enter the workforce, but to enter, enter business. That was, um, it never crossed my mind that, uh, I'd enter the, the workforce as an employee. I was always going to be a, a business person. I was, uh, <laughs> I was obsessed with money. I remember my parents getting called in, I think, uh, by the English teacher at one point saying they thought there was something wrong with me. Cause oh, you, every story I used to write about involved monsters and money. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was a, an obsession at a young age, I guess, with uh, making money. <laughs> so was your academic uh, bias toward business and uh, accounting and finance or was it general? Was it and how did it come to be that you are now where you are today? Yeah, I think I, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, I lack concentration. I'd probably be diagnosed with something these days, but uh, at uh, a young age, I lack concentration. I kind of zoned out, so I didn't particularly do well at school. But when I look back, one thing that surprised me was uh, maths is something I always excelled at, even though I couldn't concentrate and I didn't really sort of follow the lessons properly, but I still excelled. So maybe there was like something natural, uh, you know, in there. Maybe it was something that, uh, that just resonated, but I feel that has been the driving force behind everything that I've done since, uh, in terms of business and, uh, running my own businesses and business coaching. It's always been 
been first and foremost driven by the numbers, which is getting the financials correct. But that spills over into marketing as well. I think there's a bit of a myth that marketing is uh, all about the creative, but really the most successful marketers are the, the ones that analyze the numbers and understand the conversion rates. They're the, they're the ones that are the most successful in marketing and uh, even sales. It's, uh, it's really understanding the science of selling and the numbers, <laughs> taking it down to noughts and ones. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I totally agree with you because um, measuring the performance of your marketing efforts is particularly in this day and age of social media and website presences, analytics with respect to your presence is critically important. Would you agree with that? 100%, 100%. And it can take a long while to really crack the code in marketing. It took us uh, a long while at the Association of Professional Builders to get to a point that uh, we've been able to uh, quadruple the business in the last 12 months simply because of uh, constantly experimenting with the formulas and actually reducing that sales cycle from 11 months down to 30 days, which uh, then made us cash flow positive and enabled us to ramp up the sales uh, extraordinarily fast. That's a tremendous success story. We're going to learn a little bit more about that. But I have to, one last question about your childhood and where you are today. I heard monsters and money. How do monsters and money convert into you getting into residential construction, both on the business side and helping consumers out? How did that all come to be? Well, I guess from my father's influence, when I left school, I ended up going to work for my father in the retail at uh, you know, a young age, 16. And uh, But I always had this passion for wholesale, I guess. And I, I started doing a lot of wholesaling you know, at the same time. And, and that kind of drove him mad. So he sacked me after a few years and uh, you know, told me to go off and do my own thing, which uh, I did. So I, I started up uh, a wholesale business selling in, you know, driving around London, selling off the back of a van and grew that business into a company that employed 50 people and turned over 35, $36 million. And, uh, I guess during that time I, I met my wife, Linda, and we always had a, a dream to move to Australia. So, uh, we wrote that down with our goals and, uh, grew the company to a point where we were able to sell it and be financially stable and, uh, and emigrate to Australia in 2006. So that was the point that, uh, I had to really look and think, well, what am I going to do now? Because, uh, yeah, the Australian government wouldn't let us just settle <laughs> as investors. Yeah. The stipulation for residency was you start a business and employ Australian. So I looked around and uh, I thought, well, I've been in wholesaling for the last 25, 30 years. It was a declining industry. Construction looks to be uh, like the, the thing in Australia. So uh, yeah, we started getting involved with construction. Good for you. Good for you. So I have a number of uh, bullet light items here that I want to talk about. And you talked about growing your business tremendously and reducing time from 11 months to 30 days. Uh, one of the topics here is called marketing, five tips to doubling your growth. What are those five tips and how do they, uh, I guess, positively affect where you are today? Well, I mean, first of all, the I guess the first thing that I'd really hammer home is you've got to know your numbers. You've got to know not just um, cost per click, which uh, a lot of marketing agencies will get you to focus on because that kind of suits them, and not even cost per lead, which is uh, certainly better than cost per click, but it still doesn't give you the, the true answer. The, the one thing that you really have to focus on is the cost per marketing qualified lead. And 
different businesses will have different uh, criteria there into what constitutes a marketing qualified lead. But until you can ascertain how much it's costing you to acquire a marketing qualified lead and then ascertain how long it's taking to convert that marketing qualified lead into a sale, you can't really ramp up your marketing because um, you know, you're going to run out of cash before you succeed you know, if you start scaling up an unprofitable marketing uh, system. So you know, number one, you've got to know your numbers. Number two, in terms of marketing, I think there's a big misconception here about how to advertise. And what we have to realize is that marketing changed tremendously 15 years ago. When the internet went mainstream, the whole sales and marketing process was turned on its head. Previously, if a consumer wanted to buy a new car or buy or build a new home, they would go to the company, they'd speak to a salesperson, they'd be drip-fed the information. They'd turn up a dealership, they'd get a brochure, they'd uh, turn up at uh, a, a display home, a builder's display home, and they'd be drip-fed information. These days, consumers have uh, never been more educated at any time in history than, than they are now, and they do their research online before they even speak to a salesperson. And uh, really, what it's coming down to now is, uh, do they know, like, and trust you? So... Uh, yeah, we see this all the time. A lot of people will uh, turn up at a car dealership. They know more about the vehicle they're considering buying than the salesperson does. Um, it's not unusual at all. So uh, what's important now in terms of marketing is to be the provider of that information online when they're doing the research. But that's really the goal of marketing. And we call this content marketing, you know, providing useful, consumable information so that you come up on the consumer's radar way before they're looking to, to make a, a purchasing decision. And that's how you get their attention. It's how you get them to opt in to, to your database. Another tip I'd say in that respect is it doesn't stop once they've opted in. You've got to maintain the contact through multiple channels. So that does involve retargeting people on advertising. It involves following them up by email, but it also involves reaching out by phone and SMS as well. SMS is very much underused. Um, and I'm not talking about using SMS as a, as a blast to hit you know, uh, a few thousand people at once. I'm talking about individually curated SMS messages. And uh, we recommend with our builders, and this is something we do ourselves, that you're reaching out every 90 days to everyone on your database until they say, no, I'm not going to build or no, I've bought a new car. I'm you know, no longer interested. Even then, you'd still obviously market to them in terms of uh, email, you know, maintain the contact until they unsubscribe. But it's really important to understand that it's all about timing with consumers. So it might not, not be the right time, but... 90 days time, even a year's time, it could be the right time. And uh, for the sake of a phone call, hey, Steve, are you still looking to build a new home in Chicago? Simple question. Yes, I am. I'm just not quite ready yet. No worries, Steve. Yeah, maybe the conversation carries on. Maybe it doesn't. 90 days, same question. And so that's a, that's a very important point, I think, is the whole follow-up. But another important one is un, well, yeah, when you understand the, the sales cycle, you can understand how much cash it takes to acquire a customer. This is key. This is something I don't hear a lot of people talking about because this is where you'll burn your cash. And Builders in particular have an extraordinarily long sales cycle. So understanding that it might take 12 to 18 months to get a new opt-in through to a contract 
yeah, that is 12 to 18 months of uh, funding your marketing and advertising. So you really need to bring in offers earlier in that whole process so that you can self-liquidate. Self-liquidating is the key. And by self-liquidate, I just mean get the money back on your advertising. So in terms of builders, really, it's all about changing the business model from a building company to a design and build building company so yeah we teach them to attract the consumer very early in the design process yeah before they've gone into the design process be a part of the design process so that's where they will take money for design and they will self-liquidate their their advertising costs uh, at that point yeah that's uh, that's very keen and and what you're talking about there russ is something that does apply to many different business owners in many different industries so what you're saying resonates or should resonate with many business owners in terms of optimizing uh, and building so-called better businesses. I, I think you could agree with that. 100%. These are key truths, I guess, that exist in virtually all businesses. Yeah, there are some exceptions, very large companies that maybe don't adhere to these rules in very obscure niches, but these are fundamental business practices that uh, yeah will will help any company to succeed. So I'm going to go down a path that's more specific to you and what it is that you do. And before we started the videotape for this podcast, I mentioned to you that I really appreciate that you're in the residential building specialty because a couple of questions come to mind that I really want to focus in on. And I think while they'll be specific to you and your particular clientele, I'm very interested in learning the answers to these. So first one is best practices for effectively calculating work in progress. For those that may not know what work in progress is, why don't you quickly define that and then talk about how you uh, effectively calculate that. And I'm sure it has to do with maximization and optimization as well. It's probably the most misunderstood number in the construction industry. And uh, the reason it's so misunderstood is it means different things in different industries. The the actual term was uh, invented by accountants to value raw materials as they went through the manufacturing process. So you'd end up with a, a low a low cost for raw materials and obviously a higher value once they've gone through the manufacturing process. And accountants needed a way to establish the value for the materials as they pass through that process at any one time. Hence the work in progress calculation. Now, that term gets used in construction because uh, most people think of that in the same way. The raw materials arrive on site, labor is added, i.e. value is added, and at the end you get the, uh, the finished home. So logically, you're adding value to the raw materials. However, construction operates very differently to manufacturing. In construction, the labor is subcontracted and uh, all the invoices are coming in arrears. And also, uh, the contracts are typically front-loaded by the builder for cash flow purposes. So what actually happens if you look at a builder's accounts at any one time, a builder turning over, say, five or six million dollars, uh, for instance, he has probably generated in the region of 500,000 to a million dollars positive cash flow. However, he has no easy way of understanding uh, what that exact figure is because um, he's invoiced his client a lot more, a larger proportion of the job than he's been invoiced by his suppliers and subtrades. And that ends up with a positive balance of cash, which can't be measured because it can't be seen in the creditors' report. So 
The work in progress in a building company is the calculation between what they have actually been invoiced by their suppliers and subcontractors in relation to how far they are through the job, i.e. how much they've invoiced the client. It's the difference between that figure and in a perfect world, if they've invoiced the client 50%, they'd have 50% of their supplier invoices in what that theoretical figure is. And the work in progress calculation is the difference. And for a new home builder, it is always a liability. Now, this is what most people in the construction industry don't understand. Uh, and I'd go as far as saying most accountants don't understand this, certainly most builders. And when I say most, I'm, I'm talking 95% in our research. It's horrific. And it's what leads to the downfall of so many uh, building companies because they see a nice big positive cash balance in their business, half a million to a million dollars. They know that money's not all theirs, but Invariably, they uh, they think they're doing quite well, and uh, hence the jet ski and the and the boat and the new pickup truck, etc. But the other point, which uh, you know we've seen that really does damage building companies, is because it's misunderstood. It's being declared as profit, so now they're paying tax on that money as well. So they're paying tax on profits that they haven't made, and that just compounds the problem. So a lot of building companies end up as giant Ponzi schemes in effect. And when the music stops and uh, sales drop off, the piper has to be paid and that's when they fall over. But this isn't just a problem for, for building companies. We, we created a, uh, we had a, a marketing company and we, we did website design and uh, typically you get paid up front, you know, for services like that. And it's the same calculation, really. You're getting paid up front. So it's getting, it's going on your accounts as uh, income, but you've not paid out the contractors. So you end up with a, a distorted amount of positive cash flow. So again, we, we always used to calculate the, uh, how far we were through the website, a bit like building a house, and put that liability into into our accounts. Well, that is so interesting. And you're right, there's so many different facets. Uh, a piece of lumber on a yard totally is different when it's a part of the house. Or 100%. a piece of sheet metal on your yard is totally different when it becomes a finished product on a house. That is very, very fascinating. Now, you talked about work in progress. The other comment here or the other bullet point I want to cover is the KPIs and industry benchmarks for a residential building company. Clearly, work in progress is one of them. What are some of the other KPIs that a residential builder is going to be monitoring? And what are some of the other industry benchmarks to look out for? Yeah, we break these KPIs up into three sections. There's the lead indicators, the intermediate indicators, and the lagging indicators. So starting with the lead indicators, these would be a bit like putting the binoculars on and looking into the future and seeing what's going to be happening to this building company over the next 12 months. So obviously, they're things like advertising. So examples of those lead indicators would be the advertising spend, how many leads have been generated, how many marketing qualified leads have been generated, uh, how many sales qualified leads have been generated, how many opportunities, how many concept designs, which is the very early stage for a builder, how many prelim agreements, how many contracts have been signed, all lead indicators. And when you analyze those numbers, it tells you where the problem is in your in your marketing funnel and your sales funnel, especially when you compare to industry benchmarks. And uh, just throwing one out there, one benchmark that a lot of builders maybe don't always understand, and not just builders either. A lot of small business owners, because they are so used to getting referrals, i.e. very hot leads that convert quite well, 
when they start advertising, they're always generally disappointed with the quality of the advertising. They feel that this is a waste of time. I'm better off just getting referrals. But you can't scale a business just on referrals. And uh, one ratio that we do explain to builders is when you attract cold leads through paid advertising, the conversion rate is 100 to 1, which blows a lot of people's mind. But when you show them the KPIs and they understand that it's still profitable, it doesn't matter if it's 100 to 1 or 200 to 1. If it's profitable, that's the only thing that matters. The next section would be the intermediate. And there's just one number we monitor here, and that is workflow. And this is the number that a lot of builders confused with work in progress because when we would ask builders, you know, uh, do you understand, do you know your work in progress figure? They say, yeah, I've got lots of work in progress. I'd always say, what does that mean? I've got lots. Of... <laughs> but then I realized what they're actually talking about was workflow and workflow is the total value of the contracts they got signed less the amount they've already claimed. So if they've got, say, 10 contracts at a million dollars that they're underway, yeah, that's $10 million. If they're halfway through all of them, they've claimed 5 million, they've got 5 million in workflow. This is guaranteed revenue, in effect, because uh, nothing's going to take that away. And um, by monitoring that figure every month, they can spot a trend. They can, If it's declining, then they know they maybe need to sharpen up their fixed expenses, tighten them up a little bit because uh, things are quietening off. Equally, if it's increasing, they need to be thinking about putting on more resources because things are getting busier. Yeah, so that's a good intermediate number to look at. And then, of course, we have the lag indicators, which uh, accountants are very good at analyzing. And uh, because this is what's happened in the past. So we're looking at revenue. We're looking at gross profit. Uh, we're looking at uh, net profit. We're looking at gross profit margin, net profit margin. We're looking at fixed expenses. And a key one, I think, that uh, a lot of people in business overlook is the fixed expense ratio. So you take your fixed expenses and you divide it by your revenue. What is that percentage? Now, obviously, it's different for all industries. For builders, it's 15%. But this allows us to look at any building company and understand if they're bloated, which can happen when a building company grows and they have some good times. Uh, if they're over 50%, uh, 15%, they're bloated, in which case they might need a bit of trimming. And if they're under 15%, they're running, typically they're running too lean. And the reason they're running too lean is the owner is doing way too many hours, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. That is not the way to run a business. You've got to be putting on more resources at that point. Could be as well. It's uh, normally another indicator we find uh, when they're too lean is that their gross margin's too low. Uh, they're not in the, the industry benchmark for gross margin, which in terms of new homes is 25% margin, which is a 33% markup. And uh, we always tell builders that margins are linked to marketing. So if your margins are too low and you, you find yourself competing on price and you can't get the margins that you want, it's because you're not investing enough in your marketing to create that demand. That is so fascinating. And uh, there's just so much more, Russ, that we could talk about. But unfortunately, we're reaching the end of our time allotment here. And uh, it's definitely, I can see it in you that you know your numbers, you know everything about how to run the business. It's just fascinating what you've shared with us. Is there anything that my questions haven't covered that you want the audience to know about? Ah, oh, listen, in terms of I could give one bit of advice to your audience, whether it's to grow a business or to sell a business, it's 
work on your SOPs, your standard operating procedures, because um, this is always the gap we see in businesses. And people, builders come to us and say they want to franchise their business or they want to sell their companies and they don't have their SOPs in place. So get started with your first SOP, which is the process for creating a process. Uh, that's the one thing I'd say. <laughs> so I've often heard the, uh, the, the comment that if you don't, if you fail to plan, you're actually planning to fail, which I think is kind of what you're saying right there. Hundred percent. No yeah, that's a, that's a mantra we're always repeating. Yes, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. Absolutely. Well, that's so well. I, I appreciate you sharing all your insights, Russ. Unfortunately, our time is over. But the last question I ask you, like I do with all my guests, where can we go to find out more information about Russ Stevens and then the Association of Professional Builders? Yeah, uh, to find out more about the Association of Professional Builders, simply type in Association of Professional Builders into a Google search and our website will come up. You can also follow us on Facebook, Association of Professional Builders, where we're constantly posting information, uh, videos uh, with tips for running a, a construction company. Yeah, and unlike my name, Russ Stevens is PH, not V, as you see in my background there. So you can also find Russ Stevens also probably in various other social media outlets. So thank you so much, Russ. I appreciate it. I learned a lot. Audience, I hope you did too. And please join us again for another edition of Building Better Businesses as your time permits. Thanks, Russ. Thank you, Steve. Enjoyed it. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.